So I actually look for people, I guess, two things. One, who are coachable. Coachability is huge. Two, I look for people who have expertise and passion in the thing that they want to do. Because if they're coachable and they have passion, then in theory, you should be able to get them to a point fairly quickly where they're like almost teaching you, right? You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and in these episodes, we focus on one of two things. We'll either be sharing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from a Flip My Funnel event, or you'll hear Sangram and someone from the Terminus team discuss how they're getting better in a specific functional area of Terminus's business. And remember, like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram, you're welcome to another fun episode of Flip My Phone Podcast. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And a lot of you have been giving five-star ratings. We're about 500 five-star ratings or something like that. So somebody pointed that to me last week. And I, I think I've never taken a moment to say thank you. Uh, I've just been doing these episodes because I love learning and bringing amazing guests on it. So it's been really cool. So first of all, thank you for people who have been listening. Really appreciate that. Today, we have uh, Eric Smith. Eric Smith is with Treasure Data. Uh, it's really interesting. I was, as we were talking, I was looking through uh, Eric's LinkedIn profile, and oh my goodness. So he has been senior manager for business operations and then growth marketing, ABM, and now is a marketing director for data just at Treasure Data in the last four years or so. And then prior to that, he was what for, for seven years or so at eight by eight. And then before that, he was uh, in many different areas. So it's interesting to see the growth trajectory around it. So Eric, one of the things I wanted to really jump into was a lot of times people are asking about the growth trajectory for a marketer is not as high and people are struggling to like, well, I'm a content marketer, prompt marketer. So we, I, I want to really, I want your help for our audience to understand how did you make so many different moves in an organization because those seem to be a completely different set of skill sets that one would need to be part of it. And you did it so quickly. So that's one. And then, then we're going to jump into this whole idea of personalization and how it's different for boomers versus millennials. So all that kind of stuff. So all that to say, Eric, I'm super excited and fired up to have you on the podcast. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Sanger. I'm really excited to be here. So yeah, uh, as you mentioned, I am the marketing director of data for Treasure Data. So we try to see how many times we're going to say data uh, in this conversation. <laughs> if you're having a drinking game at home, get prepared. So yeah, and as you mentioned, I've been you know, with this company about four years. I've had various roles. But to your question, uh, how have I kind of navigated this role or these roles? I think the interesting thing is that I want to bring up the, the one thing uh, that I did kind of before going into like full corporate is I had my own startup kind of built a social media platform back in the early 2000s. And ultimately, you know, I, I bring that up because that is what I think helped. Uh, the, the, the philosophy behind that is what helped me kind of like navigate various roles. And that's about being very customer centric. And, you know, it's a, it, I don't want to say it's a buzzword, right? Being customer focused, customer obsessed, et cetera. But the way that I think about it is from even in my 20s, when we kind of built this platform, I was building it because, you know, at the time I was in Asia and there, you know, Craigslist wasn't really out there. Facebook didn't exist. You know, you and I may remember Friendster, but that didn't really have a big Asian, you know, segment or, or audience. And so I built it because, you know, me and my friends wanted something. 
bluntly. We we're like, hey, we, there's a gap, and we are we were used to kind of being from San Francisco, and we were used to having you know uh, online experiences as as sort of rudimentary as they were in the early 2000s, and so we went around building it. And so you know, fast forward when I when I, I sold that, and it sounds really good when I say that, or if I put it on paper. The reality is I sold it for just enough to pay off my student loans. It wasn't like, you know, like a big thing. Well, that's good. Um, that is actually really yeah. good if hey, you can do that. I got, I got to zero. It was great. So that was, yeah, to zero never felt so good. That was in my late 20s. And then, um, interestingly enough, uh, I had been, <laughs> I had been reading like a bunch of financial self-help books. And um, I decided that I wanted to go into sales. And I thought that sales was sort of, you know, the tip of the spear, as it were. And there were a number of books that kind of recommended that. And I actually thought, uh, as I reflected on, you know, the last five years of my startup, I realized, or at least I believed that had I been better at sales and had I understood the fundamentals of sales, that we probably would have been able to scale that company a little bit better, right? Um, and so those are kind of two things that lead into the, the question. And that's, you know, I, I credit my time with that startup and I credit my time with sales being customer-facing with now my ability to jump into content or jump into operations. So content, because I know, at least I think I know, or have a, have a background in what it's like pitching to people rapidly, right? 50 times a day, having it work, having it not work. And that helps me really inform content, right? This is too verbose. People aren't going to read all this, right? And, you know, marketing is like, well, you know, we would, we would joke that they're paid by the word, right? Long things were like, no one's going to read that. So I thought that that really helped. And then when it came to operations, I had felt the pain from what it was like to try to work with these templates and uh, work with these systems that were really not optimized. And and sales, you are very, and marketing is now too, but sales is very much a performance-driven profession, right? You're, you're tied to a number. And so, you know, I would, I would feel instinctively like, oh, this system is actually not reporting my activity or the team's activity as I moved into management the way that I think it should be. And so that gave me a very visceral response to operations that you can't really learn when you're just sort of put into a management role. And then from there, I've kind of, you know, I wouldn't say bounced around, but I would always look for the areas for growth and I'd kind of pivot into that. So with that, I'd, I'd kind of turn it back to you for follow-up questions or how you'd want to yeah. go next. You know, as I was, I was making notes around this is one thing that I talk, as I have interviewed so many marketing leaders, I feel like this comes up more often than not. And I'm surprised at the same time, I think most practitioner marketers are surprised by, well, why are they saying that? What I mean by all that is you mentioned the experience in sales as being really, really important for you to be a better marketer. And I think if you're in B2B and if you're a marketer listening to that episode, this episode right now, I think one of the most important things you could actually do to be a better marketer is spend time with your sales team and actually be on the calls with them and things. And I'm surprised how many, how few marketers actually do that. And what, I mean, have you seen that? How, how do you train? Because you have a team, you, you obviously have been thinking about this and doing this really yourself. Like what advice would you give to folks in marketing that are like, okay, I'm in marketer. I've done MBA in marketing. I've been in marketing for the last 10 years and I know marketing. You really don't if you have not really tasted some of the sales side of it. Like, how how do you react to that? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I 100% agree. It's sort of like, you know, you can read 100 martial arts books. That doesn't mean that you know what to do if you were to get in a fight. And I'm not advocating violence. I'm just saying that one doesn't equal the other, right? There's academic knowledge and then there's instinctual knowledge. So what would, you know, advice that I would give, and it 
you know, it can vary depending on where you are, you know, in your career, whether or not you have the opportunity to actually take six months and like actually go sit in a seat and try to sell. I think if you have the opportunity and you could do one and only one thing, if it was like six weeks to go and actually try to, you know, sit in a chair and like pick up a phone and, and actually try to sell your own product, you will learn more in that six weeks than you would learn probably in two years of market research. That's my opinion. The way that I've approached this uh, in team building and internally is I make sure, and that's not always reasonable, right? I, yeah. I get that. That's not always reasonable. So the thing that I always challenge my team and everybody who's ever worked for me, A, can attest to this and B, do this. Everyone who's worked for me, regardless of what they do, can demo. I make sure that they learn a 15-minute product. I call it a tour. It's not really a demo. They don't need to be as agile in conversations as a sales engineer or a salesperson or product expert. But they need to be able to navigate the product. They need to be able to speak to the most interesting use cases about that. You know, oh, these are the five things that you know, for our product, we really think sell. And you need to be able to do that and practice that. Um, so if once you do that, the practice comes, put yourself in a field marketing event, right? If you can't sit in a hot seat in sales, go into the field, go to a conference, uh, and actually commit yourself to pitching and giving people a tour at the actual booth. I'm surprised how many people are afraid to do this. And it's something that my team has always, I've just said, look, you not to say you're not a value to me, but you are a increased even exponential value if you know how to do that because I know it's going to inform everything else that you do you're going to know this is what it feels like to use our product sell our product picture product. so that's there's all those things I could go into but that's the number one thing I could say either if you can get in sales do it if not commit to learning a 15 minute product pitch record it and do it at a field event I, I love that I think that's like a tremendous action item so so let's get into personalization before we started to record you had an interesting study and a stat that you talked about that you did with Forbes that gave you some really interesting insight into how millennials think about it and how boomers think about it. Could, could you shine some light on it? Yeah. So uh, the personalization survey with Forbes uh, was independent of that, but there were a couple of things that we've researched uh, and research that I'm aware of that kind of lead to that. So Salesforce did something, I think it was October 2018, it's called the Consumer Trust Trends Report. Uh, and it's literally page seven of the PDF. That's how well I know this. And they uh, took a generational axis on personalization and the comfort of personalization at a very high level. And so they asked boomers, Gen X, and millennials roughly, like, do you understand how data works? Do you want things personalized? And do you expect things personalized? Some, something along those lines. And the boomers, by and large, were about 64% against it might've been 65%, something like that. But like, they didn't understand how it really worked. They didn't, they weren't really comfortable with it. And they also didn't expect it, right? It was sort of like not a part of their brand experience. And, and there's a lot of other stuff around brand loyalty that about boomers. Millennials were like the mirror image of that. So it was something like 66 or 67% in favor of, so that they understood how it worked. They understood how the systems in theory work talking to each other. Um, they were comfortable with it and they actually expected it, right? That's how they were choosing their brands was that this was the comfort level of their digital systems. And so that's interesting to understand because in the tech world, I think it's similar, but if we get, if we take a step out of tech and I think about our customers in retail and in automotive and traditional brand and, you know, uh, you know, a lot of large enterprise companies, guess who's in charge of those companies still not millennials, right? CEOs are by and large of the boomer generation by and large. And so that's interesting because they're making the decisions for the future of the company 
And there's this whole digital revolution going on, and the data shows that they're not, they don't get it, they're not comfortable with it. And that's not a blanket statement. Obviously, there are exceptions. But their customers, and this is original research, so we did um, some research that we presented at uh, GDC Game Developers Conference. We do a lot in entertainment and gaming. Uh, and I did some research around millennial trends. And so here are uh, three things that really stood out to me. One, uh, millennials, at least in North America, became the largest workforce population in 2016, right? There are more millennials working as of 2016 uh, than any other generation. Two, in 2019 this year, uh, millennials became the largest generation by population in North America, right? Boomers were the largest generation. Uh, uh, millennials are now the largest generation. And, you know, there's a this shift in demographics in general, but they're, they're the largest period. And then the last one, uh, we were kind of looking at media consumption habits. And so what's interesting is that the peak age of kind of like gamers right now is 34 and the peak age of millennials is about 32. And so what's interesting to me is that in a couple of years, there's a whole other topic about media consumption. We're basically going to hit this really interesting point where peak workforce hits peak population, hits, hits peak purchase power, right? At around 34 <laughs> years old. And that's really interesting to me because if we think about what that means for brands and for companies engaging, there's this real interesting point uh, about 2021 where we think that things are going to shift very dramatically because of what's happening with millennials. Yeah, I mean, it is such an interesting point. Uh, as I was sharing with you before we started reporters, we had somebody in leadership coming in and just doing a talk around the fact that there are right now in any organization for the first time in, in, in you know, as far as people can go back, is that there are four generations working together. And at all different levels, in all different uh, hierarchies, and in all different positions and power and influence. And he, he made the same exact point as you are making right now. He's like, within the next five years, it is going to switch so quickly in front of you mm -hmm. that you wouldn't have an idea to how do you even lead the, a team. And all of a sudden, you are not the leader. Somebody else is the leader. And now you're under somebody else. And you, you, your power's are going to shift quite a bit. So you you made a point around the fact that this this peak uh, number of population, the people working, as well as the purchasing power and the leadership, all of that is going to happen within the next few years. How do you lead in situations like that, right? Like, how do you, what do you do? Because I think that's actually happening right now in some way, shape or form, and maybe in your own organization. How do you lead? I mean, uh, so I, I don't know if I can give advice for everybody. I've always been a lead from the front type of you know manager. You know, I and so I see my job fundamentally as the person to take the, the punches, essentially, right? I'm I'm there to be the shield and remove obstacles from my team. And I specifically hire people who are smarter than me, which you know, may not be that hard, but I'm very focused on that. So I, I find people who are, you know, if I want a data person, this person should be. I mean, I understand how you know data works. I work in a data company. I'm, I'm arguably not terrible at it but I want somebody who really knows this stuff. Or if I'm going into field marketing, for example, I've, I've, I've hired people who um, actually didn't come from tech, for example, but they had expertise in supply chain for conferences. How do you, because they worked in a conference business before this. So I actually look for people, I guess two things. One, who are coachable. Coachability is huge. Two, I look for people who have expertise and passion in the thing that they want to do. Because if they're coachable and they have passion, then in theory, you should be able to get them to a point fairly quickly where they're like almost teaching you, right? And your job as a manager or leader becomes to help them navigate more of the politics of the company 
and let them excel. Um, so that, I mean, to me, that's really how it goes. And I would say kind of, I wouldn't say tangential to that, but one of the, the secret weapons that I had on, I've had on my team is a data person. And I don't know that that's uncommon in marketing anymore. And it's beyond an analyst, but having somebody who really can kind of manage data, complex data and write query and SQL and code to a degree that has helped me ask and answer some of the more challenging questions in the business. And even when executives above me are struggling with a decision, I'm the one who can be like, oh, me and my team have actually already figured this out. This is what the data shows. And that has helped me excel as a leader. And then by extension, my team can rally behind me because I'm highlighting their work. I'm like, no, this came from our data scientist. This is his work. And we tested this in the field through her work. And I always give them credit but if, if, they, if, if they can help me move forward and I can lift them up with me, then we all win as a team. I love that. I love that. You know, I, I always take notes and you can see like, you know, I got, I got a couple of pages of notes already. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to summarize the top two or three big takeaways. And Eric, I would love for you to give a challenge to everybody as we close this out once I go through these takeaways. Uh, take I mean, sure. People listening to the podcast are mostly in marketing and sales. And as much as I wanted to go deep on ABM, we, we talk about that kind of stuff all the time. I felt like you brought in such an interesting dynamic around leadership and, and this whole idea of boomer, millennial generation, personalization. I felt like this, this probably is going to be super effective uh, experience for a lot of people. So a couple of things. I think what, what you said as like almost an advice to everybody who's in marketing, I think people should take, take, take real careful attention, pay real careful attention to this, is that if you're in marketing and that's all you have done all of your career, maybe one year or maybe 10 year, go and spend two, three, four weeks with your sales team or actually be in that role and you will learn more than, in your words, what, what you might learn in two years. And what was even more exciting for me, what you said, is the way how you lead uh, from front, it really is by making sure that everybody on your team can do a demo um, mm -hmm. of the product. And I think that there's nothing but I know so many marketing organizations in, in businesses where they're just writing ebooks and they're just doing white paper and they're trying to sell co-location or data or cloud. And they're like, well, we're not, we don't know. We're just going to depend on it. But no, you need to know that. So I feel like you making the point that you need to be able to do a somehow 10, 15 minute demo. There's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do that. And then two, everybody should go spend time with sales so you know what they're facing and you would be much more smarter doing that. So I think that was just phenomenal. I think if nothing else, people should just take that home. Um, the second part, you talked about this whole idea that, oh my goodness, I think I'm a millennial. I'm like 39. I think I, maybe I just crossed over because I'm 40. <laughs> Fair enough. There's this there's a zennial like subgroup that people argue about. I think uh, I think millennial is more of an attitude than an age, and that there's a show called Younger that says that, and I, I tend to agree because I'm exactly the same as you. Like I'm 39, but yeah, I'm yeah. I'm like yeah, like so. And you mentioned and look, in the next few years, it's just gonna happen where the powers are gonna shift, the decision making things are changing. People who are buying and people who are making decisions are also going to be the same people. So there's going to be a big power dynamic that's going to about to change. And if you're not getting behind that and understanding what that means, I think you're going to have a problem. So if you're a boomer listening to this, uh, you need to pay real close attention to that and, and maybe go have lunch with a millennial, millennial and then find that find that out what, what they care about. And then, then this is the last, last one. I mean, there's more I'll add in the show notes, but you mentioned about what do you do to lead? 
in a situation where you yourself have such an incredible growth trajectory and you've done so many different things. And I think you said three things that you look when you try to hire. So if anybody's looking for jobs and things that you're trying to progress in Korea, I think those three things are fairly common that I hear from almost every successful leader. And you said, you need to be coachable. You need to be expert in something. It doesn't have to be everything. It's something that you should be really, really good at. And you should have passion. You, you, you should have some sort of, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. You need to be a passionate, energetic person that you want to just try and think. So this idea of being coachable, which means you're going to go with the swing with the punches. You're going to have expert in something, which means you have spent some time on it and not just jumped around a little bit and, and have passion for whatever it is that you're working on. I think I cannot tell you, Eric, how many times I've heard those three things in some way, shape or form. And it just makes me like, wow, that should be in somebody's like, you know, some plate where people can look at it. So all that to say, there's a lot more, lot more in this to unpack. I'll add it to the show notes, but what is the one challenge you want to give to all sales and marketing leaders or even people who are trying to be in a, in a great role? What is one challenge you'll ask them? Like, go do this thing. Well, so I, I, I want to give three. So you, you mentioned that the, giving the, the demo and stuff, I would say if you can do nothing else, you know, listen to sales call recordings, you can do that. Right. I, ideally, you learn to do the demo, but I listen to sales call recordings on my way to work. That is one thing everybody could be able to do, and you'll find extreme value in that. Um, in terms of like data, etc., um, I would say, you know, learning uh, or in terms of like, you know, leadership, like I le- think learning data literacy. So we, we learned, you know, English comprehension in high school. I think taking a basic data science class or digital marketing class. They have all kinds of online things. It doesn't take more than six weeks just to kind of understand how all these systems are working together. I I did that a couple of years ago and it helped me accelerate things incredibly. I I can't, I can't recommend that enough. And again, they're, they're very affordable. They're even online ones. And I know it takes time, but it's sort of like at a certain point you're trying to accelerate. You, You just need to be able to shift gears and give yourself the time to go take a six week class on digital marketing or data science or SQL or something like that, just up that skill set. And then the last one I'm going to borrow from you, and it's actually something that um, our senior executives do and speak to, but you just said it, have lunch with your team. If you're a boomer, go have lunch with your team. And it's not, and it's, and it can be, and I would recommend more often than not, you know, once a week is fine. It doesn't need to be anything formal. So I know our CEO and our CFO and our, they'll like, we all are having lunch and they'll just, they'll come down and hang out and they don't even talk about, you know, we're not even talking about business, we'll talk about sports. We'll talk about movies. We'll talk about vacation plans, but like we know them and they know us and they are very good in, in retrospect and kind of thinking of, and being agile around it. So I think those are three things that everyone should be able to do all three, honestly, but you can also find one takeaway from one of those things, at least that you can do. I, I love that. You know, one of the things that I try to do is uh, because I'm still kind of staggering and learning is every Friday as a company, we have lunch in the office and I would like make sure that that is the day I'm just there, just sitting and just, I'm, I'm the first person almost there and the last person to leave because that one hour, I feel like I get to meet so many people. I learn about what's going on in their life a little bit more in a relaxed mode because it's kind of Friday already. So it's, it's, it has taught me and got me closer to so many more people just because of that time. So I, I think that's a, a, a winner for that. Eric, thank you so much, man. This was fantastic. You gave so many amazing takeaways. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. I'll be happy to come back anytime, Sangram. 
Stangrum here. All right, you already might have heard that I launched my newest book, ABM is B2B. So I want to give you a gift for being a podcast listener for some of you have been listening it for the whole year and a half and, and send me so many messages. So I want to gift you, I want to gift you a copy of the book. I'm not asking you to buy, I'm literally gifting you the copy of the book. So if you text me at 33777 with the keyword ABM is B2B, simple as that. Text me when you get a chance. Don't don't drive and text like when you stop. It will be in the show notes. So just take a look at it. The keyword is ABM is B2B and text me that keyword at 33777. It will add, ask you for a physical address so I can ship you the book. And I just want to say thank you. I am super excited. Hopefully I can uh, get this book to as many of you who have been a loyal listeners and evangelist of the Flip My Funnel podcast. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.